0: What does God use to describe what he's looking for in a leader or pastor? Pastor
1: Ed Taylor explains. When God is looking to instruct and train men and women that are going to oversee the flock, when he's looking for men to pastor and shepherd the flock, he uses the picture of shepherd and sheep.
0: This is amazing grace.
1: Done for me.
0: What happens when the shepherd fails in his duty to the flock under his care? Tragically, they become prey. Well, today's abounding grace will help us guard against that very real and present danger. We'll get that help as we continue in a series called With, short for With the Shepherd and His Sheep. And we're given an instructive picture of this descriptive relationship in John 10. Let's join Pastor Ed Taylor there as he begins.
1: Would you take your Bibles and open them to the Gospel of John. If you're new to the Bible, the Gospel of John is found on the right hand side of the middle of your Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you'd open it to John chapter 10, as we look at a Bible study that I've entitled, Sheep Hear Their Shepherd's Voice. Sheep Hear Their Shepherd's Voice. Now in order to understand chapter 10, we're kind of dropping in to the middle of John's gospel. And in order to understand the significance of chapter 10, like if we were studying John verse by verse, we would have just finished chapter 9. And chapter 9 is both a sad chapter and a very encouraging chapter. Because it's in chapter 9, you remember, a man that was born blind was healed by Jesus. Something that was really ugly was redeemed by Jesus Christ. Forever eternally changed. This man that was born blind from birth was healed. And what a glorious day this was meant to be. A glorious day that was meant to be like, I mean, this is amazing. Physically blind, and now he sees. His testimony was, I was blind, now I see. And we actually use his testimony to describe our lives in a spiritual for him, it was physical and spiritual. For us, It's spiritual, that we were blind, unable to see and understand the love and mercy and forgiveness of God, but now being born again, we can see. Notice with me, pick up in John 9, just by way of context, in verse 34. John chapter 9, verse 34. It says, they answered and said to him, you were completely born in sins, And you are teaching us. So this is the religious rulers of the day speaking to this man that can see now. And they're upset. They're mad. They're the problem in chapter 9. Blindness wasn't the problem. The man that was healed wasn't the problem. Jesus wasn't the problem. The problem were these teachers that were misrepresenting God. So they, they confront him and they go, man, you were born in your sins. And you're trying to teach us. And then notice that phrase. They cast him out. Jesus heard, verse 35, that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? And he answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. And then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Verse 39. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you'd have no sin. But now you say, We see, therefore your sin remains. Most assuredly, I say to you. And chapter 10 continues a conversation that Jesus is having with some of these religious rulers. You see, this man that was blind, that was healed, did not bring much joy to the religious rulers. They didn't like that Jesus healed him on the Sabbath. They they valued their own man-made religion over and above the heart of God. You see, Jesus broke their man-made traditions on purpose. And they were so infuriated They were so angry that they took it out on the blind man that was healed. And let me just say, that happens to the follower of Jesus Christ. People get so mad at God. They get so infuriated with Jesus Christ that they take it out on his followers. Don't be surprised if you don't find that part of the persecution that you face is actually an outgrowth of someone's anger toward the one true God. And, and it comes to you because you are close in proximity, because you stand for what's right, because you take a stand that's based upon the scriptures and upon your relationship with the one true God. And yet, because of that, what happens? Well, John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus said, in this world you will suffer tribulation. In this world, this world is hostile, to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Therefore, the culture and the system that we're in is hostile to followers of Jesus Christ. And time and time again, we're surprised that it gets taken out upon us, but we shouldn't be surprised because just like this man, I mean, really, what did this guy do? What exactly did he do except receive a healing? He hasn't done anything, but they take it out on him and they kick him out they excommunicate him. But understand in the first century, excommunication wasn't simply you couldn't attend this synagogue or you couldn't attend this church. Excommunication in the first century was a removal of every piece of identity that a person would have. You see, of all the mistakes that were made in the first century, there were still some things that weren't mistakes. And that is the worship of God was the center of life for the follower of God. It was like the hub in a wheel and all the spokes of life came in and out of worship. It's not like that so much anymore. It's it's like pastors, we have to beg and plead with the body of Christ to make God the center, to make sure that He's the focus, that your decisions are flowing from His Spirit, led by His Spirit. But instead, so many other things distract and take away and no longer do we find ourselves so passionately seeking first the kingdom of God? And I think Jesus knew that because he taught us that. He said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. I think that's a word from God to some right now. That as you go to and fro and you're upset and you're, you're concerned, the answer of God is to seek him first and foremost. So for a guy to be cast out, for a guy to be kicked out, if you will, was to lose everything, to lose family, friends, possessions, identity, career. And I love this, though, because his casting out set the stage for the work of Jesus. Because as it says in verse 34, they cast him out. And then verse 35, when Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he had found him, I like that. When he had found him, that that implies that Jesus went looking for him. He heard that he was cast out, and then he went looking for him. That is a solid principle of God. Jesus loves to reach the unreachable. You know, it's unfortunate we even use that word unreachable because it's just another label. You know, we live in a culture that loves to label, and then once someone is labeled, they can always be in that category. However, we do understand that there may be people in our lives, I mean, if you think about it right now, you think about, are are there people in your life that you can think of that you would consider unreachable, that you have shared, you have tried, and and yet their lifestyle, their decisions, their influences, it almost causes you to lose heart a little bit. So I don't know if it's ever going to happen. I want it to happen. I don't know if it's going to happen. And they're in that category of unreachable. And we happen to be a part of a family of churches known as Calvary Chapel. It's not exclusive to us, but the very genesis and beginning of this movement of churches around the world started with God reaching the unreachable. A group of people that have been written off by society, You know, today we know them as the hippies. Some of you may have been hippies. Praise God that God reached you. I was born a little bit later, so I didn't have the chance to be a hippie, but I, I was in my own unreachable state myself. They wrote a book not too, you know, not too long after the beginning of the Calvary Chapel movement about some of the pastors, and the book is entitled Harvest. And the subtitle on the book is this, and I quote, gang members, drug addicts, mental patients, society's rejects, the amazing story of Calvary Chapel, and the unlikely leaders God has called. And what a great, what a great God we have that is going after the unreachable, those that have been neglected, those that have been written off, Of course, that's my personal testimony. It may not be your personal testimony, and if it's not, don't feel bad about that. You've just, you just skipped out on a lot of pain and sorrow from the consequences of sinful decisions. I wasn't so fortunate. I made a lot of sinful decisions that I suffered a lot of consequences with. Very difficult and challenging. And there were, I'm sure there were some, maybe my guidance counselor, a few of my teachers, perhaps my parents at times, They would look at me and go, I don't know about that guy. I don't know what's going to happen with his life. There were even a few times as I examined my own life, I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen with my life. I gave up on myself. But there were many people that didn't give up on me, and there were many people that prayed for me. You know, you guys at Redemption Hill, I would have never met Pastor Steve had my buddy that I grew up with not invited me to that particular church at that particular time. When you think about the sovereignty of God, putting all these pieces together, it's amazing. And I just love this. Don't miss this because it gives the backdrop of chapter 10 as Jesus begins to teach us about the shepherd. When he heard this guy was cast out, he went looking for him and he found him because God finds those that need to be found. And each generation, God has reached down to the guttermost, as D.L. Moody once said, to change and transform lives. And I'm glad he did. And I'm glad he does. And I'm glad he still will today. Jesus isn't done. The work of reaching out to the lost, to the hopeless, to the hurting, to bring them into a real relationship with him, is what he's doing even right now. As he's speaking to the Pharisees, notice what he says now. Pick up with me in John 10, verse 1. He says, most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Mark that word in verse 1, if you like to circle that word sheepfold. Sheepfold is a familiar picture to those that were listening to Jesus. Sheep and shepherds were very prominent in the first century. Still very prominent in many ways in Israel today. Much of society then was made up of sheep and shepherds. Of course, that's kind of an unfamiliar picture for us, but I'm grateful that we can unpack it and understand that Between the relationship of a shepherd and a sheep is very sweet and beautiful. We've learned already in Psalm 23 how the shepherd owns us. And because of that, he's responsible for us. And because of that, he takes care of us. And because of that, he feeds us and protects us and takes care of us. And because of that, at times, he makes us to rest. And he's there with us even in the most difficult of times, like like the valley of the shadow of death. And he is our shepherd, and we are his sheep. This is not an unfamiliar picture to those that Jesus is teaching. It's all throughout the Bible. Jesus would teach at the level of his audience, using language and illustrations that would make sense to them. And whether you're a teacher or a mom, whether you're a leader or a dad, whatever responsibility you have, just as a believer in Jesus Christ, remember this. The Discipline of teaching is not coming off as some good teacher, some super smart teacher, and like, oh man, that guy, he knows all the theology and all the words. That—that That is not the level of teaching that changes lives. The level of teaching that changes lives is what Jesus demonstrates. He uses, he makes something that's so complex, so simple that anybody could understand. Now, of course, at the end, it says at this place, they don't understand, but the problem with The Pharisees not understanding is they didn't want to understand. They didn't want to receive this truth. You know, one of the definitions for discipleship and teaching in the Hebrew is this phrase, cause to learn. Like, it's the teacher's responsibility that those listening would receive and be instructed and actually learn that it's our responsibility to rearrange, to know the theology behind it, to know the Greek, to know the Hebrew, and arrange it in such a way that when we deliver it, like Jesus, I mean, Jesus goes, hey, look at the flowers. And you go, I know flowers. And then what do you he do? Hey, look how, look how good God takes care of you. Look at these flowers. Solomon didn't even have better clothes than the flowers. And he was able to take something complex and make it super simple. He uses the phrase sheepfold. Picture in your mind, I know it's hard to, it's hard to think. I've, I haven't seen a sheepfold in a while. I've seen one in Israel, but it's been a while. But I'll give you a description. Ready? It was a round enclosure about six feet high. So I stand about six feet high. So uh, six feet high round enclosure where different shepherds would bring their sheep in at night to sleep and to rest. So there would be a mingling of different sheep. The door was simply an opening. There was no gate to it. And once all the sheep were gathered together, the caretaker would lay down in that opening so that he became the door. No one, no sheep could get in and out without going through that door. Now, of course, there is those that were thieves and robbers. So, so no one could go in rightfully. Like, like Jesus is saying there is a right way and a wrong way when it comes to the sheepfold and coming in and out of the, of the pen of the sheepfold. There's a wrong way where the thieves and the robbers would come in, but the right way was through the door. And no one can get out, come in or out through going through the caretaker, which was the door. When morning would come, the shepherds would return to get their sheep by simply calling out their sheep by name and in, in a wonderful way, the sheep knew their own shepherd's voice and followed him. And you know, it's throughout the Bible, this picture of the shepherd is used to describe God's relationship with his people. Just jot it down. In Micah chapter 2, verse 12, it says, I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will surely gather the remnant of Israel. I will put them together like sheep of the fold. We've learned already, Psalm 23. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. Psalm 95, verse 7. For he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice. Same symbolism. And this one is even uh, memorialized in a song that we sing. Our song goes way back as we think about people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. Isaiah chapter 40, in verse 11. Speaking of God, he will feed his flock like a shepherd. Even here within the body of Christ, when God is looking to instruct and train men and women that are going to oversee the flock, when he's looking for men to pastor and shepherd the flock, he uses the picture of shepherd and sheep. You can jot it down, maybe read it for homework in Ezekiel chapter 34. In Ezekiel chapter 34, God is not only seen as a shepherd, but he also commissions the leaders of Israel to be good shepherds themselves. And he condemns in Ezekiel 34 those leaders that were not caring for the flock and were bad shepherds. Because good shepherds reflect the goodness of God. And bad shepherds, and I guess you could say we're not really shepherds because there's only one shepherd, the good shepherd, that we would be under shepherds. And we use titles like elder and pastor and deacon and deaconess. We would be the under shepherds. Good shepherds represent the good graciousness of God. Bad shepherds misrepresent God and hurt people. They're thieves and robbers that don't do it the right way and that choose to take advantage of the flock. So the shepherd enters through the door. Jesus, as he speaks to the Pharisees, is not merely giving us an illustration of shepherds and sheep. Instead, he's theologically teaching the religious rulers of that day that had made man-made traditions more important than God. He was teaching them that the new covenant has arrived. That Messiah, Savior of the world, has come. You see, a man... In chapter 9, he's just been kicked out of society by the religious rulers. For what? He didn't do anything. He simply received a healing. It wasn't his disobedience. It wasn't his rebellion. It was the anger and furiation of the leaders of the day. They were mad at Jesus. They kick him out. He's just been kicked out, and Jesus comes to the rescue as a picture and a type of Jesus coming to the rescue of all of humankind, All men, women, and children. Jesus is saying in a very real way, I came through the door. I came through the door. Not like a thief, not like a robber, because I was born under the law. Later we'll learn Jesus fulfills the law, the only one ever, God in human flesh, to completely keep the law. You can jot it down in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Jesus Christ was born under the law and completely kept the law. So he's teaching the Pharisees. They have an opportunity. See, the blind man was blind physically and spiritually. The Pharisees, they don't think they're blind, but they're blind as blind can be. The sheepfold here was Judaism. This is Abounding Grace, and Pastor
0: Ed Taylor is our Bible teacher and the pastor of Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. We've just heard a message called, Sheep Hear Their Shepherd's Voice, and you can hear it again online at aboundinggraceradio.com. Pastor Ed, your main point today was, sheep hear their shepherd's voice. So a question comes to mind. For those that are wondering, how do I really know if I'm hearing from the Lord? How can I be
1: sure? How would you answer that? You know, Larry, that is a common question. It's like many people think God's speaking from the clouds and we're going to hear his voice. But the number one way that God speaks is through his word in the revelation of his son, Jesus Christ. Uh, That's what Paul, when he wrote the book of Hebrews, told the Hebrew believers. Hey, in these last days, God has spoken to us through his son. We want to know Jesus well. So here's what I suggest you do. Open up the Word and get to know Jesus, starting in the Gospel of John, then the Gospel of Mark, then the Gospel of Luke, then finally the Gospel of Matthew. And just read them as if you were walking alongside Jesus, learning from Him, listening to Him, watching Him, being that observant friend and get to know him because a lot of times somebody will share something with me, they'll email me, they'll send something and immediately I'm reading it and I'm like, that doesn't sound like the voice of God. And you go, and how do you know that? Well, because it doesn't sound, it doesn't reflect his character, his nature. Sometimes very clearly it goes against what God has revealed in the scriptures. Uh, so how do I do that? I know God's word. Secondly, I'm going to involve godly men and women that he could use, that I trust in my life, that he can use to confirm a direction. For recently, I had a situation here where I had I have the opportunity to call my friend, Pastor Skip Heitzig, and uh, he is a man whom I trust, a man whom I love, and I was asking his biblical insight and opinion on something. So I know, I know what the word says, but I also want to hear it from a man that has walked with the Lord longer than me, uh, is a friend. Is a co-laborer, is a mentor, uh, and being able to call and talk to him and just, hey, w- what do you think? And let's pray and have that clarity of discernment and a word of knowledge. So know the word, have a godly friend or two in your life, and then finally you respond by faith. If it, if it isn't contradicting the scriptures, then you're going to dwell on what God gave you, and you're going to act and step out in faith. And I know the Lord will bless you with that. Great question. Thanks for sharing that, Pastor Ed. We
0: couldn't be more excited about the new book Pastor Ed has written, and it couldn't come at a better time. It's called God's Help for the Troubled Heart. I don't have to convince you that people are suffering in large measure all around us, and maybe you have been too. You've been laid off at work, or you recently got the virus, or are disturbed by what's happened in the recent election. You're anxious and greatly troubled. Well, God wants to meet you right where you're at. This book will remind you that Jesus will bring you through your trial, and you're not alone. Request a copy of God's Help for the Troubled Heart today. Maybe order an extra one, too, to give to a friend. We'll send it to you for a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. Call 877-30-GRACE. And please remember that your gifts help to make this possible. We look to the Lord to provide for us. If he's leading you to take an active role in the ministry through either a one-time gift or ongoing support, please visit us online at AboundingGraceRadio.com or call 877-30-GRACE. This is
1: Amazing Grace.